As you take out your your Bibles, uh, please turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. If you're using a pew Bible, uh, it's on page 981 and 982. And uh, as as you're turning there, uh, I would just like to give you a couple of thoughts to think about next Sunday. We will be having communion, and we're also going to be privileged to have uh, Reverend Walt Shepherd uh, to be preaching, and you will really need to be here to hear him. And uh, so if you can, he was a pastor of Lolita's and Arrington and Molly and Bobby Blass and Laurel many years ago. Uh, he's retired, but uh, God has used him mightily, he and his wife. And then the following Sunday, which will be the first Sunday in August, uh, Dr. Darwin Jordan will be in the pulpit, and uh, we will be going forward. He will start his ministry as interim pastor on Sunday morning. So uh, that's what's coming up in the next two uh, weeks, and so I hope you'll be in prayer and be a part of that. Uh, It's a privilege to be preaching on Philippians Uh, Our brother Zeke will probably be winding it up tonight, so I would encourage you to be here to hear that. I'd like to, as I read before, I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, As I, anything good that comes from the sermon today, uh, I have to thank people like uh, Dr. Jim Boyce on his sermons in Philippians. I looked at my father's sermons, pulpit commentaries, Barnes commentaries. Gospel Coalition, Reverend Michael Reeves, and Dr. Peterson, and a few other commentaries. Those are people that I was looking at that have been great help to me. But um, let us read from God's Word, starting in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. This is from the ESV, and this is God's holy, infallible, and errant Word. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in, any, any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables 
him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of God. This is without error. This is God. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that your word lives forever. The flower fades. We die. But your word, your word survives forever. And so now, God, we pray that you would open our spiritual ears, our hearts, that we would be open to a thus saith the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would use whatever is spoken by me to be according to your will. Anything that is not, Father, remove it from these dear people's minds. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We are told that Paul had a great desire in his life. In fact, he says, the one thing that I want to do is I want to know Jesus Christ. And that is, I want to know him intimately. I want to know him, I think, as Adam and Eve knew God in the Garden of Eden. When they walked with him and they talked with him, Paul says, I want to know Jesus. And in a moment of transparency in, in this gospel, because I think if you look at all the churches that Paul was writing to, he would say this congregation was his favorite. And so he's saying things maybe to this group of people. He didn't say to people in Ephesus or in Corinth or in Colossae, but he's saying things to these people he's sharing his heart. And he says that he once related, if we go back in early part of chapter 3, he says, I once related to God as I had to earn his love. I had to be right. I had to do all the right things. I couldn't mess up. In fact, I did them pretty well. And he said, that's how I related to God. And that's how I thought I was going to get to heaven and God was going to be pleased with me. But then... He meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and everything changes. And what made Paul frustrated, what made him empty, he says, I have a new life. He's a new person in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I owe Kurt Moore, a friend of mine, a missionary, we support a deal of gratitude for pointing me to this guy named Michael Reeves, who's the author of Delighting in the Trinity. And I, I look forward to reading that book. But Michael says that if you really want to know who God the Father is, if you really want to go deep into a relationship with God the Father, is you go deep into your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 14, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, who does these works. And this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed, John 17. And then in Philippians 3, 
verse 10, right before what I started reading, he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him, like who? Like Jesus in his death. Verse 12 starts the last part of this chapter. And Paul is communicating, I'm not there yet. I, I haven't arrived. I'm not completely perfect in unity with Christ. I'm not where I want to be. But here's what I'm doing. I'm pressing on. That word press that you see in verse 12 means a hunter that's after his prey. And says, I want to get him. And he's after it. And that's what Paul says. My, one thing in my life, I am after that relationship with Jesus Christ. Just like if any of you have been a deer hunter and you shot the deer and the deer has got away, you're going after that deer. And you're pressing on to find that deer because that's meat for you. Maybe that's a bad illustration if you like animals. But for us hunters, we know what we mean. And then he says this, I want to make it my own. I press on to make it my own as Christ Jesus has made me his own. And the Greek word there means to lay your hands tightly and aggressively on something. And Paul says Jesus first laid his hands on me. And we see that because he says I was on my way to destruction. As many people are at the end of this chapter. And then he stopped me. He laid hold of me. He grabbed hold of me. And now that he's grabbed hold of me, I want to grab hold of Jesus. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Jesus is to be our primary goal. How can I make Jesus my primary goal as Paul getting to know Jesus, loving Jesus, being in an intimate relationship with Jesus? How do I do that? How does Paul tell us to do it? Well, he says in these following verses to pursue the goal of knowing Jesus Christ you got to live in these three areas first you have to know the, about the past then you have to know about the present and then you have to know about the future the past living in the past living in the present living in the future I once heard a sermon by Dr. Robert Peterson on this and I will have to say he has impacted me greatly and he was a man who had grown up in foster homes. And I uh, appreciate the Baloo's being foster parents. But they did not grow up. He did not grow up in a loving, kind foster home like the Baloo's. He grew up in a horrible. He had scars on his back. And he had scars emotionally. And he had scars mentally because of that. But he becomes a Christian. And in it he learns in this passage. That he had the ability. Not to be chained emotionally to the past. Not to be chained emotionally to the past. So he could move forward in life. And forgetting requires two things about our past. One is forgiveness. And the other is forgetting. Forgiveness and forgetting the past. I'm thankful to Elder Rob Jackson Jr. for passing on this article to me and to others about forgiveness. Uh, in the article, it says this. There are many, and first of all, let me stop right here. 
Uh, if, if I were to say, how many people have been wounded in your past? How many people carry scars from your past? Would you stand up? I, I venture to say almost everybody would stand up. I have been hurt. And I'm not, but I'm not disqualifying that, please, when we go through here. In fact, at the very end, I'm going to ask some elders to be down here. Maybe you have been so hurt that you have not had a chance to be helped. And if that is so, you need to come talk to people to let us. How can we help you not to be chained emotionally to your past because you've been so hurt? There'll be some elders down here. Ken and Rob will be down here. Grant, come. We'll, set, we'll talk with you and we'll help you. We will find help for you. But how do I move on from the hurt that has been done to me in the past? The first is forgiveness. And this article, and I'm stealing from it, I'll tell you. And if you want to know the article, come up to me afterwards and I'll forward it to you. But the person says that forgiveness is not saying that sin doesn't matter. And if somebody's done something horrible to you, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It does matter. In fact, it's bad. And you're not to deny it was wrong. Whatever somebody did to you, if it was sin and it was wrong, it is wrong. And also, forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation or restoration because it takes two. That's the, the aim. And if somebody has done something to you and you want to be restored, but they don't, you want to be reconciled, but they don't, you can't make it happen. Also, it doesn't mean that you have to trust somebody. If you have been really wounded by somebody, it doesn't mean you have to trust them. And forgiveness doesn't mean that that person who wounded you doesn't experience the consequences of their sin. There are consequences for sin. But what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a command. Colossians 3.13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Also, we have just said the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Jesus only makes one comment about the Lord's Prayer. If you read it in Matthew, and that is this. If you've been forgiven, you have to forgive others. If you don't forgive others, then that probably shows that you haven't really truly found forgiveness for your sins in me. True forgiveness means that you can forgive because you have the power within you. Paul says, if any man or woman be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The power of the Holy Spirit is within you. You have the ability to forgive. Otherwise, God wouldn't have said, Jesus wouldn't have said, forgive. But here's what forgive means. It forgives those people. Then that frees you from the hurt. It keeps bitterness from taking root. Bitterness that would defile you and everyone around you. See Ephesians 4.31. This also frees you from the power of the person that has hurt you so that they can't keep putting you down and they can't keep inflicting that wound in the past. You have the power to forgive so that they will no longer have any power over you for what they did to you in the power of Jesus Christ. This is a miracle. This is the miracle of Christian forgiveness. 
that when we forgive, Christ does something profound in us. Those wounds that are inflicted by others graft us into Christ the vine. His life flows powerfully through us. Joseph had such an opportunity. You remember Joseph's ten brothers. We went over it in the first grade class. If you're in that class, you can tell your parents afterwards today. His brother sold him into slavery. Potiphar's wife ratted him out and did something very unjust, and he landed in jail. And then he finally comes to power, and his brothers come before him. Read about it in Genesis 40 on. And then when he reveals himself, they go, oh, okay. And then they say, well, as long as our father is alive, we're going to be okay. And then their father dies. And then they come to him thinking, now he's going to get us. And he says, listen, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. He's asked to ask the question, Mark, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. He acknowledges that. You you did mean evil. It was bad being thrown in the pit. It was bad being sold. It was bad what happened to me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph was trusting in the plan of God for his life. And whatever has happened to me, whatever has happened to you in your past, that evil, that bad stuff, there's a plan. There's a plan. We can trust that. Now, what about you? What about me? What about things that I've done in the past that can haunt me? Maybe you've done something that will come to your mind. And you're going, oh God, I, I've did that. Here's what we said. God forgives us. Dr. Sean Lucas used to say this, and I was forever grateful for sitting in on some of his new members class, and he always brought this out. He said, you must have a high view of your sin. You must understand that your view of sin, you've offended the holy God. You've offended God Almighty. Your sin is great, but guess what? The cross is greater. To have a highest view of the cross, you have to have a high view of your sin. I don't know what you've done. I know you don't know what, you don't want to know what I've done. But I got sin in my life. But I have to look to the cross and I have to be willing to say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And his sacrifice was so great for me. And if Jesus says he's put my sins away, then I'm going to put my sins away and I'm going to not be chained emotionally to them. I'm not going to be stopped from moving forward to know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And neither should you. Christian, we are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgression from us. Psalm 103 verse 12. I probably could stop the sermon right now. And we would be praying. Maybe I should. We'll get out early. I know y'all would be happy. But again, I say that if you afterwards 
We got help. If you're dealing with something in the past, either been done to you or you've done it, come up. We'll help you. We'll find a way. We will work with you. Forgetting. Forgiveness and forgetting the past. Paul probably did more for the cause of Christ than any person that's ever lived in this world. And yet, he doesn't stay in the past. And what he's saying is, I'm not going to let what I've done for Jesus Christ or how I have persecuted Jesus Christ, I'm putting it behind me and I'm moving forward. I'm not chained to the past. Dear people, we have possibly you've done some great things for Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. But if it's in the past, you leave it in the past and you, you move forward. You move forward. Because we have the present, which is the second part. The present. What is God's will and purpose and plan for my life? Again, verse 14, as we look at this, I press on forward to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The idea is I'm going forward. I'm not stagnant. I'm not stagnant in my Christian growth. And so as a Christian in the present, God has some expectations of you because he has saved you, because he's put the Holy Spirit within you. He says, I want you to do something. The Greek word for call is an invitation. Uh, I, get, uh, the, I get an invitation when it comes in. My, my wife puts them on the wall so we get to see all the invitations to us inviting. And as I was ironing my shirt today, I saw the invitation for Carol Easterling and Bobby's wedding in a couple of weeks in the end of, of August. And what he's saying that this is an invitation that Christ is putting forth to us to receive his blessing. The blessing of God is grace, his mercy, his love and forgiveness. How do I get it? There's so many things, but this, let me just do two things here that we see. Number one is there is discipleship. And that's when he says about knowing God. It requires discipleship. And that discipleship comes from this where... In Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus is calling disciples to leave their boats, their nets, and what does he say? Follow me. Follow me. That's discipleship. It means you go after Jesus Christ. He's in motion, and you're running right behind him. Follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus' discipleship? First of all, it's personal. Notice how many times he uses the word I. I do not consider. I have made it my own. This one thing I do, forgetting I press forward. Uh, let those of us who are, it says, I, I, I. It's personal. My son and my daughter, I cannot disciple them for God in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I can, but they have to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ themselves. I'm going to pray for them. Deborah and I are going to show them. We're going to read to them. But at the end of the day, if little Knox and Hannah Jane, if they're not involved personally with their own discipleship, then they're not going to get it. And neither will you. Coming to church is great and wonderful. I'm glad you're all here. But in discipleship, getting to know Jesus Christ, it's up to you. You personally. It's you personally. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Also, it's done in community. I get that from verse 15 when it starts off saying, let you who are mature think this way. If anything, think otherwise. And then he says, brothers. In verse 17, brothers, what's he talking about? He's talking about Christians. He's talking about the church. And he's saying that your discipleship is to be done in community. He says, let those of us who are mature. Verse 16, let us hold true. Brothers, verse 17, join in in imitating me. Keep your eyes on people in the church. The church is to help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. And in verse uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 it says each person has been given talents and abilities and gifts and you are to use them to build up the church and that means to build up others so that when you're not in church when you're not using your gifts and abilities then somebody's not being built up. We need each other. We need each other community discipleship it's personal and it's in community if you're saying Knox I I don't know how to be discipled I need be to be discipled again there will be elders down here afterwards or you can talk to me come up and say help me get me in a group somebody help me or you can say you know what I have these gifts and abilities and I would like to use them in the church in the community to help other people and I realize I'm not doing it right now in the present point me in the right direction The second thing we see is that Paul says that God is going to reveal to you something. He's going to reveal to you the will of God. That's in verse 15. God will reveal that to you also. What is he going to reveal? His will. How do I know the will of God? How do you know the will of God? I had some people in my office this last week about marriage. They're going to get married. I asked them, how did you meet each other? And they told me. Okay? If you're not married, guess what? You're to marry a Christian. Who are you to marry? I don't know. But there to be a Christian, how do I know that the Bible says that? Is it going to be Frank? Or John? Or Jack? I don't know. But they should be a Christian. If you are a Christian, you marry a Christian. I would say some other words of wisdom. Where do you find Christians? In RUF, in the church, going on missions trips. I imagine that it will be hard to find them in these. Well, there are places you don't find Christians. Okay? (laughs) The will of God. You know. What am I supposed to do with my life? I don't know, but I know this. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. If you come to me and say, hey, God, I mean, Knox, can I be a good drug dealer for the glory of God? No. You know, no. If I go rob the bank across the street, I'm going to tie that. That's good. No. No. There are some things the will of God says you don't do. But whatever God has called you to do, you do for the glory of God. And he will show you. Guess what? Discipleship is costly. He says that. He says that. 
For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people who are going to say, and I, I had somebody this, this last week tell me about how they became a Christian. It was amazing. And then this person told me about a relative that they couldn't wait to tell them because they thought this relative was a Christian. And this person said, Hey, I became a Christian. I'm born again. Jesus Christ came into my life. And the relative said, that's terrible. That's horrible. You're just supposed to be a good person. That's the enemy of the cross. There's nothing wrong with being a good person, but that's not going to get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is you saying, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I've accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. And guess what? All you got to do is open the papers, turn on the news. People in Canada being arrested, people in California being arrested, people in Michigan are going to be arrested, probably people in Mississippi one day if things don't change. If you're going to be a person of the cross, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you to give personal discipleship, to read the word, to pray. It's going to cost you to, to give your money, to come, to go on missions trips. To love people, to forgive people, it's going to cost you. But God says that cost, whatever it is, I'm going to repay it and I'm going to reward it. It says there are some people, he says, their God is their belly. They're indulging to please themselves by focusing on self. Frank Turk is a Christian apologist. He was here at USM a number of years ago, and he says this. When he goes on college campuses, he'll say, if I can answer every question, every question, will you become a Christian? He says, many times people say no. And he'll say, why? Because I don't want to give up my life and my pleasure. I don't want to give it up. Their God is their belly. Shame, the glory is in their shame. Their highest goal is for shameful things that God says is wrong. They say is right. God says, it is wrong. And they say, I don't care what God says. I'm going this way. In fact, if you don't do that, if you don't accept me for what I want, then you're bad and I'm going to get you. Being a Christian is not easy. It's costly. Jesus says, if you're going to follow after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. But that's the only way that goes to heaven, which brings us to the future. In verse 20, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Paul uses that word because Philippi was a Roman colony. And a lot of the soldiers had retired and moved to Philippi. They had all the rights and privileges of the city of Rome. And what he's saying, Paul says here, is how you look to the future, what you think about the future with your life is going to, make you look at the present and the past what you think about the future christian in verse 19 he says those that are enemies of christ there is their destruction they're totally crashing and burning in this life and the next they're either the judaizers who said paul you got to be circumcised you got to keep the rules or there were the gnostics there were the people that were about self-pleasure he said, those people, their end is ruined. He says, that's not your end, though. 
You're in, your final destiny is heaven. And he says, we await the time that the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to come and transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things into himself. That word power, it's used in the New Testament almost every time it says God is going to take it and he's going to apply it and it's going to get done because he's God. We're passing through this world with all its wonders, its heartaches, its fun, depression, its sin, its pleasure, disappointments, problems. The list goes on. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. That is where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is right now in heaven. Molly's father went there. Arrington's mother has gone there. Our loved ones have gone there. We're going to get to go there one day. Dr. Darren Jordan, he preached, I think it was a sermon on May 7th on the body. I would encourage you all to go back and listen to that sermon. It's one of the best ones I've ever heard on whatever our body's going to be like. And then Davis Morgan touched on it on June 4th. If you want to go back, go back and listen. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Revelation 21. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for the perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death where is your sting the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do you believe this? Do you have this hope? If not, if there's somebody here that says, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. Come talk to an elder. Talk to me afterwards. Know, know where you're going. Know how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As I said before, if you're having problems with the past or with the present, come talk to us. Let's help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us forgiveness for our sins. And uh, we are blown away. 
that you love us. And like Paul says, who wanted to go to heaven, he says, I want to go to heaven, but I, I know I need to stay here to help. Father, we pray that we would help one another. We would love one another. We would forgive one another. Father, that people would be discipled and grow stronger in their faith here. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be emotionally chained to the past. What's been done to us or what we've done to others. In Christ Jesus, we are forgiven and we move forward. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.